I pacchi bomba contro i rappresentanti europei stamattina un ordigno nascosto in un libro esploso nella sede del Parlamento europeo a Bruxelles. Yeah! <laughs> well, there, folks. It's almost time for the Shutter Shindy. Gather around and get ready. It's gonna be a real hoot. Oh, would you listen to that? I'm Linnea. And I like Death by DVD. It's a statement. That means the show's about to begin. This is the Shutter Shindig. You're listening to Death by DVD. I'm Hank, the world's greatest. And here's my best friend and yours, I, Alexander Nash. Oh, I'm your best friend. How sweet. And the audiences, I would hope. I'm no one's friend. I don't leave my house. Wow. What a way to start the show. Thankfully, before the shindiggery begins, we have a brief word from a sponsor that may be a little bit better than that intro. Unky Hank's lizard tail jerky. Uh oh! Did I hear you're out of Unky Hank's lizard tail jerky? Yes, that's what I said. Well, yeah, yeah. Don't you get your knickers in a niddly diddly widdly hiddly? A what? Excuse me? Shh. Just visit www.deathbydvd.com if you're in need of a lizard tail jerky feed. You're saying I can get fresh Unky Hank's lizard tail jerky at www.deathbydvd.com? No! It turns out this commercial's just for DeathByDVD.com, where you can hear rootin' tootin' highfalutin' episodes of Death by DVD, the greatest movie podcast of all time, all day, every day. But I just wanted jerky. Well, yeah! <laughs> we don't always get what we want, do we? episodes of Death by DVD every Friday available always first at www.deathbydvd.com We're just going to be discussing films that are Shudder originals, movies that I wouldn't say premiere, but are exclusively on Shudder at a certain point. If it doesn't say Shudder original in the opening credits, it's not on this list. Technically, Psycho Goreman is a Shudder original, but it has premiered at film festivals. It is available on DVD and some other streaming platforms for rent. But as far as like exclusively streaming for free, will be on Shudder. But first, before we get into the films, let's do a little bit of a little blow job, a little ball tickling of Shudder. Shudder, great service. Pay the $5 or $7, depending on whatever offer they're uh, having that month. But it is a worthy service for horror fans. There's lots of great content on there as far as uh, some TV shows. Well, it's the only place that you can see The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs and Darcy. You've got Creepshow, the TV series, which, you know, the shutter is owned by AMC, so you've got some really nice production value. Oh, this is a blowjob, so I was going to say, oh, really nice is stretching it, but 
You, it's a blowjob. You've got nice production value. Creepshow's fun. Uh, that was originally going to be on this list, but it didn't really make sense to do uh, three movies and then a fucking entire TV series. But Creepshow's great. I've really, really enjoyed that coming back. I love Greg Nicotero. I've got 75% on Creepshow. I think about 75% of the uh, vignettes, if you want to call them that. They, it's different. The, the episodes usually have two stories in them, but about 75% of them are good. Some of them are a little iffy at times. I was not a fan of that David Arquette zombie sporting event episode whatever that thing was i'm i'm really behind on i I think that i think almost all of the fine this last season i saw the christmas special which i i thought was hysterical i saw the animated special which that really was reminiscent to like george romero that really gave you the the 70s early 80s vibes that is necessary with creep show did you see the loch ness monster well it's not loch ness it's a champ from late late champagne did you see that one not a very good episode i've not seen that one yet it's pretty bad. Uh, but like some other ones, like the first episode was really good. The one with uh, Giancarlo Esposito, the one written by Stephen King. There's a couple other like really uh, the Dana Gould one, the one he stars in was pretty good. There's some really great episodes in there. So in general, when it comes to Shudder, you've, you've got a lot. I think as a horror fan, it doesn't matter if you're a beginner or you've got a really decent collection because for one, almost everything, well, that's an exaggeration, everything in the Italian section and the Giallo section that Shudder has to offer, I physically own. But it is kind of nice not having to pop open that special steel case and go through the discs with fucking gloves on because it's going to be worth 800 bucks soon because collectors keep buying goddamn every print of everything. So Shudder, yeah, it, it definitely has its points, it's got its values, and then you got the Shudder exclusives, which, for a lot of independent artists, not even just independent, I mean, you, we have only focused on English language films, which Ooh, could definitely be considered a loss, because some of the most amazing pictures Shudder has to offer are from the foreign language market, overseas movies, a lot of European films, a lot of Asian films. Uh, one of my favorites was Saint and Slaves. I thought that was really great, a sequel, what, almost 30 years later to an Indonesian film, fairly horrifying it, it was effective and it still was provocative did you, uh, did you see that uh that blood vessel movie uh oh the yeah the the, the nazi the ship vampire one. nazi death ship thing that wasn't too bad i thought it was it was pretty good that reminded um, me almost of like a tales from the crypt movie like demon knight oh, or yeah. something like that and that was that was a lot of fun now that we've sufficiently blown shutter it's definitely worth the money subscribe today we're going to talk about four movies that are exclusively on Shudder, and we're probably not going to be all too kind to all of them, particularly because we found that uh, randomly selecting them and not curating what we were going to pick for this episode, probably not the best idea in the long run, but um, yeah. I think a problem, too, is that in theory, some of these movies are, are really great, and some of them, like I personally was excited for, one on the list is a remake of a Stuart Gordon movie, so uh, that got my attention right off the bat, and Fangoria produced it also, so it's like, wow, this is going to be great. Well, you, you, um, you know, you can take it that way. <laughs> if you... Well, uh, let's just go ahead and get into that being our first one. Let's talk about Castle Freak, <laughs> that, um, yeah, which is... Oof. As Hank mentioned, a remake of the uh, Stuart Gordon film based on the H.K. Lovecraft story, The Outsider, which the Stuart Gordon film was very loosely based on that story because the story itself doesn't mention a lot of things. It's a very, um, it's told from a first person's perspective about someone who basically doesn't know that they're a beast or a creature almost. And Stuart Gordon made a film about it for Full Moon in the, uh, the 90s. It's pretty good. Uh, it's perverse. It's Stuart Gordon. Now, they've inexplicably remade it for some reason. Fangoria was involved. I think Barbara Crampton's a producer. Yeah, Barbara Crampton produced it. It was, uh, produced it. Wow. My my grasp of the English language this early into the show is already falling apart. It was directed by Tate Steinsick, and it was written by Kathy Charles. How do we go? I will... Let me go with my positives first. The positive of this movie is about the first 30 minutes are pretty goddamn good. You have... The opening credit sequence, I think, was the best opening credit sequence of the year uh, 2020. It was uh, very entertaining for me. No, I mean, the special thing about it, it felt like a, an old Hammer film. The way the the titles were designed, uh, the music that they decided to lay over it, that was uh, like a nice homage for me. And then directly after that, we smash into a gunship song playing over um, some teens having a philosophic discussion and we kind of start going 
downhill from you there. You say the first hurt. 30 minutes, but I mean, one. Okay, it's so the first like 10 minutes. <laughs> when I was introduced to the character, the professor, I knew right there, like, ah, oh, fuck. They just gave this really pretty person some glasses and he's the nerd, huh? It's one of those movies, which, hey, it, it, things like Scream are widely celebrated by people all over the land. So who am I to judge? But like five minutes into the movie, it's like, oh, so we don't we're not going to get a character. Not one of them. They're just going to be like rough ideas of characters. All right. And it's like I'm fucking already whipping this goddamn movie. And you do have like in the, the sequence you're discussing right before all of this character development if you want to call it that begins i really agree with that i mean if it's not hammerker god damn it if it's not hammer it's going to be amicus if it's not amicus it's like a triton feeling and she's whipping herself you've got nudity it's not so much vulgar but the the first few minutes of this movie are really reminiscent of Stuart gordon himself that it's like all right we're going on a perverse ride there's going to be religious fanaticism it's going to be fucking awesome and it just spirals from there there's that first whipping scene you know and it's not just because it's a naked chick beating herself because that sounds fucking weird now that i say it out loud it's well done when you go throughout the film it's a very odd homage to the Stuart gordon film because the Stuart gordon film is about jeffrey combs inheriting a castle from one of his ancestors and them going to live in this european castle and his half-brother is this kind of man who was beaten into a monster and his daughter happens to be blind from a uh, drunk driving accident that Jeffrey Combs has gotten into. So we've set up some character stuff, like blah, blah, blah. Now in the remake, we've taken bits and pieces of that story and kind of thrown them around because in this story, our main character is a blind woman because Jeffrey Combs daughter was blind in the original, I guess. And she inherits a castle and her dickhead boyfriend uh, goes with her and he invites all of their dickhead friends to come and hang out at this castle. And we have the castle freak that's hiding within the walls. Uh, first of all, makeup, not as good. The creature design, not as interesting as the Stuart Gordon Agreed. version by far. But the places that this film wants to go is weird. I, I guess they wanted to work in a more H.P. Lovecraft idea without particularly understanding. Uh, to me, it doesn't seem like they were trying to make one movie here, that they're getting their foot in the door to just do a bunch of H.P. Lovecraft movies. It felt and... like a Marvel version of an H.P. Lovecraft movie, to be honest. Without the budget or, you know, like Jean Favreau directing. Yeah, and like where we get into it is we start introducing concepts of elder gods and the, the typical H.P. Lovecraft stuff that, you know, that the, the more novice people know that not saying that these people that made the film are novice, but that's, I mean, we're throwing on heavily the, like the kind of the Cthulhu references and stuff like that. Well, I mean, it's, it's really kind of like, like I was, I'm just going to capitalize on what you're saying here, but it is kind of like babies first Lovecraft. They took all the buzzwords and all the things that you would read in like the Cthulhu mythos or if you just Googled it and you Googled Elder Gods. I, I, it really, to me, was a fan service. Like, let's just try and appeal to the one whole crowd. Let's just not go for the remake or the people that love Castle Freak or the H.P. Lovecraft fans. Let's go for absolutely everybody and, and try and catch them, which, you know, uh, the Color Out of Space was very similar with trying to make this expansive Lovecraft universe. And that kind of didn't appeal to me there either i would just like the story just just a story what we're focusing on these characters i know the elder gods and all this stuff eventually eventually will be important but i'd ra i'd really rather just a story about characters and emotion and what's going on inside this fucking castle well the original castle freak is about interpersonal drama it's about a family who's been torn apart uh meeting your extended family which turns out to be a hideous freak man and the relationship between jeffrey combs and his wife barbara crampton the relationship between combs and his daughter uh the relationship to the town that this castle um is in and how the people have been affected by the people who've lived there all these years it has like things going on and this film doesn't seem so much to be interested in character whatsoever it's interested in a lot of plot devices like the elder god scenario because when it breaks down the castle freak is some sort of mutant that's been raised from uh some sort of ceremony and if it has it's like sex a half god like half like, uh, yeah yeah it's, like it's... a half god who has if it has sex with its relative the blind girl 
it'll bring in, was it Yog Kothag that it was going to bring in? I can't remember which god it was. One of the Thoths or Yog Sothoth. Or, there's just so much when it comes to the Lovecraft universe. Which just all seemed tacked on to me. It all just seemed like Lovecraft, Lovecraft. And I'm like, I don't need any, I don't need any of this. I need a human story. Well, that's where shit really got annoying for me, though, is that you finally get all these shit heel friends coming, and it's it's in Albania. So all these Americans are flying over. Of course, they live in Dunwich, Massachusetts. So, you know, more Lovecraft on top of that. Reference! They end up coming over, and the character, the professor, just magically, because our lead character's blind, mind you, she's been attracted to this book and can't figure anything about it because, you know, she's fucking blind. But what's the book? Guess what it is? It's one of the only copies of the Necronomicon, which they say may have been stolen from Arkham University or Miskatonic University many, many years ago. It, it just is so much shit that starts piling up on you. It's like, dude, there's a fucking weird monster in the walls. Why can't we just focus on the weird monster in the fucking like, wall? Like, again, like what I, what I was interested in the first film is the relationship these characters have to one another, not the relationship to some longer drawn out like Lovecraftian mythos story, because that stuff is not particularly that interesting. It can be interesting, but to a, like a much wider range of. Like, this is not the, the medium for that. This is not the story you need to be telling with a castle freak. <laughs> like, you could do a Cthulhu movie on its own. You don't need to, like, backdoor it into Castle Freak for some odd reason. Yeah, the mythos itself need their own treatment. They need their own substantial story that focuses on that because there is so much stuff in the Lovecraft, in, in his universe alone, not only that, but now so many other writers that have expanded upon that and have added more stuff to the universe. The gods are endless. The creatures are endless. So you just try and shove it into this entire idea and, uh, you know, you start getting excited for it. The movie ends and, by the way, spoilers, ladies and gentlemen, the movie ends to me in just a completely misguided direction because now all of a sudden the, the elder gods are being reborn onto Earth and, uh, okay, why'd you yeah. save this for the end? I mean, in Castle Freak. In a movie called Castle Freak. Okay. We didn't even really then, get much of a freak or the castle. We got like two or three fucking rooms. And I don't know. I'm bitching because I wanted well, more castles. I thought the set design was like, it, it looked good. And we're going to get into this a little bit later as far as all these films are concerned. It's like, there doesn't seem to be a problem in modern horror filmmaking of being able to make a movie look good. Knowing how to shoot a movie. Knowing how to use your lighting. Knowing how to use your sets. But knowing how to have a script that works first, give it more than one pass because where this movie really just like, it made me just laugh and go, what the fuck is this shit? There's a post credit sequence because again, it's a Marvel movie of the professor going back to Miskatonic university. And, uh, it turns out it's Jack Armitage from the Dunwich horror. Oh my God. And he's shaking hands with, we let us introduce you to our newest student. Mr. Herbert West and sitting on the desk is this vial of green glowing goo. It's just like, oh my God. Because he's going to carry that to every place he goes and just show it to people. Look, I can reanimate corpses. Check it out. Here's my green goo. And it might have just been an afterthought thrown in by the filmmakers of as kind of like a stinger. But at the same time, it's just like, please, please just leave this line. Like I was discussing this a little bit before we started, but what made reanimator, if they, plan on remaking reanimator like some american remake of reanimator please don't please don't i'm michael jordan stop it get some help because what was special about reanimator was Stuart gordon as a director as a writer with dennis paoli barbara crampton as an actress very much jeffrey combs if you don't have jeffrey combs or someone who can handle that character with the, the same aplomb, then you ain't got no fucking movie because reanimator as a story in itself is not that interesting. It's just Frankenstein all over again. But if you can get the right cast, the right crew and the right tone, you can make a masterpiece. I just don't entrust the people who made this castle freak remake to be able to take something that is like, you know, reanimator and make it in any way necessary to have a remake of. So with that being said, Please, in the future, when we start doing all these crazy remakes, understand why a movie was interesting to begin with or popular to begin with. It's not the, just the subject matter. It's not just, hi, this character is entertaining. It's, 
who acts as that character that makes it there is no Jeff or there is no Herbert West without Jeffrey Combs. He's what makes that character interesting altogether. That's sort of a problem here, though, is because uh, what is known of Reanimator, what is known of the character Herbert West specifically is Jeffrey Combs as to where there is the original source material that that was written. What a 16, 17 page story. Everything that you're discussing is why the character is so important, because it is Jeffrey Combs that made the embodiment of it. It's the same situation when it comes to Doug Bradley with Hellraiser. He really has given a, a pretty much generic, nondescript character a complete personality over all these years of his, just what, two or three minutes of performing throughout the movie. Because Herbert West in the very first film is what carries all of it as to where the story of reanimator is a guy that can reanimate corpses but like pet cemetery they come back a little bit fucky now you see why stephen king always says lovecraft was one of his biggest influences because all he kind of did was rewrite his stories you know what instead of a tentacle monster what if it's a cat that comes back and it's evil or a car and it's doing cocaine well you brought the interesting reference was pet cemetery because with that recent remake it's kind of the same thing like the Mary Lambert film is it's it's good. Um, it's of its time for the most part. Like I think there's it does have its problems, but it's a very dour tone. And then when this remake that they made, same deal. It's like you don't understand what made it interesting to begin with. The story is about grief, and that remake has nothing to do with grief particularly at all. It has to do with exploiting a concept of bringing your family members back and not exploring the grief that's involved in that. Yeah, the Pet Cemetery remake really bummed me out. Just, just visually, it was attractive going into the movie. It was something that I, I wouldn't necessarily say I had excitement for. I have no problem with the original Pet Cemetery, but it's not a movie I, I happily like to sit down and watch because of what you just mentioned, the fucking subject matter. It's about grief. It's about loss. And if you've had grief and loss in your life, sometimes revisiting those things is even scarier than you know your loved ones coming back to life and killing and stabbing you because they're weird freaks. The remake had nothing for me. I, I didn't feel frightened. I didn't feel lonely. I didn't feel desolate. I didn't feel depressed. And that's kind of like with Castle. It's a collection of gags. It's a collection of scenes and concepts. And it's not so much focusing on character again. And that's the problem we're having with so many modern horror films is we're not focusing enough on character. I was, uh, we were discussing these movies uh, throughout the last couple of days over like text messages and stuff. And I brought up to Hank that like, Casavetes is a very important filmmaker because Casavetes made films that have zero plot. The plot is irrelevant to the story he's telling because the story he's telling is about characters. It's about these people who inhabit this universe that he has built. And it's usually a universe built around depression, um, losing one's mind, losing one's um, livelihood. And it's about how these people deal with, that's what makes those films interesting, and that's what makes horror films interesting if you focus on an idea, a, a character, um, how this character grows, how this character regresses. And that's what's missing in a lot of modern horror, and that's what's missing in a lot of these Shudder films that we'll be discussing. Well, sometimes you don't even have to heavily focus on on so much of the character. Let's look at John Carpenter's Halloween Michael Myers doesn't really matter. You've been given enough information at the beginning of the movie. You're following the, the development of his sister. Well, you're following the development of Laurie Strode. And Michael Myers is... Uh, everything comes back to westerns when it's John Carpenter. He's just the black hat cowboy. I mean, you watch those old western TV shows, there would just be a bad guy that wore all black who most of the time was some celebrity guest that would get killed by the end of the episode. You never saw them again. You didn't care about their history or who they were, but that's what was terrifying. They just rolled into town on their horse and started fucking things up. Halloween works perfectly for that example. You're focusing on the moment. It doesn't matter what happens to Lori before or after, especially what happens to her 20 fucking years later, even though I guess a lot of people would disagree with me on that subject matter. Or 30 years later, or 40 years later, I'm not even just trying to make fun of Halloween H2O. I don't care for any of the sequels <laughs> at all. So, but you, that, And that's one of the problems, too. The, the moment itself was perfect. That's what makes Halloween such a great movie, just that moment, just what we're dealing with and the emotion of what's happening in that moment. Anything afterwards... It's just milking it, and that's there's nothing to well, do Laurie with that. Well, Laurie Strode point. is, a, is she's, a, she's an avatar for the audience. And if you have an actress like Jamie Lee Curtis who can portray the fear that she's feeling as that avatar, you can embody, like, embody that character yourself. You can feel what these characters are feeling. And I think that's what's missing a lot of modern horror is we're just we're putting up these bland ass 
characters, quote unquote. They're like, it's it's kind of gotten to the scream scenario where everybody has to be a certain like you know the the slasher parody like it's the football player yeah it's the slut it's like i we know how about it just be a fucking person it doesn't have to be an art type the guy with glasses on we know he's gonna read a book and like all right you just gave it to me and i didn't it's not that i wanted anything out of a remake for castle freak except for maybe it to be something to do with castle freak <laughs> at all and it, it really starts in that direction and it I, to me, I don't even nose dives hard. Yeah, and it's like I'm not trying to overtly, you know, piss on this, uh, but it gets to a point where I don't even think it had a strong beginning. We're introduced to our cast of characters, and they're so vapid, they're so meaningless. It's just a bunch of youths, and I say that very like loosely, youths partying and doing fucking coke, and you know, then it goes to Albania, and we're at a castle, and and we're the same youths who are partying and doing coke. And I will give it credit for, at times, being somewhat perverse. Uh, you know, the there's a sex scene uh, yeah, that was with good. the castle freak. I'm glad you brought that up, because out of, out of all the negativity, that's, like, the one good thing I wanted to shine light on. Because, man, that was gross. That was uncomfortable. Good job. <laughs> you, well, you I mean, and the character's, really... like, vaginal representation, like, monstrous vaginal representation <laughs> at times is, like, okay, that that's kind of interesting, but just... The overall complexity of the plot is where this movie trips itself up because it's trying to have a complex plot of throwing in all these different ideas and concepts that are just not necessary to the story that you are trying to tell. Again, I will say this probably for every movie tonight, but need another pass on the script. Needed to actually sit down. You need to spend more than a couple weeks writing this. You need to actually pick it apart, break it down, figure out who these characters are, what this person... step into the body and the mind of these characters and who you want them to represent, what type of person you want them to represent, what feelings do they have, as opposed to just passing them off as, it's the jock, it's the slut, hey, he does coke. Like, that's not character development. That is just giving them, like, archetype shit to do, and that's just not interesting to me at this point in horror film history. I want strong characters, very strong characters, like Reanimator, Nothing but strong characters and a lot of like fun and hilarious gore and stuff. And that is all due to the people making the film and not just kind of, well, we got our million and a half dollars. We let's shoot this fucker. <laughs> like, and that's just that's how I feel about it. That's what the entire film feels like. It's just let's shoot this fucker. All right. What can I move on to next? It's like stop thinking about your next project look at a film as being possibly the only film you will ever make. And what do you want to say with your one shot? Well, this seems like a good place for everyone's favorite segment, Keith David or David Keith. Do, 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 do. You don't know which one's which. Ba-da-da, that's the fun of the game. They have similar names. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, why isn't the segment playing? Da-da-da, there it goes. Sha-da-da-da-da. Well, 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 if it isn't time for another round of Keith David, oh, David Keith. What 1984 film about a husband and wife who try an experimental government drug called Lot 6 that gives them psychic powers and a flaming hot kid stars? Keith David or David Keith? Well, it's David Keith! Yeah! Was it as good for you as it was for me? Until next time, goodbye and good luck. And now, back to the boys. My last and final thing on the subject of Castle Freak is incredibly superficial, but I'll stand by it. Should have had Udo Kier in the movie. Would have been a lot better review if it had Udo Kier in the movie. He's not doing much. I mean, you just pay Udo Kier. He he probably like has a manor in Albania as it is. I kind of think he's a vampire, but that's just me. 
God bless uh, hold Udo on. Kier. Every single movie we'll be talking about tonight mm, probably should have had Udo Kier in it. Uh, honestly, and I can say this maybe for like the last 20 movies we've even discussed, it should have had Udo Kier. Any any <laughs> review I'll give a higher star rating to if he's in it. Blade? Fuck it. Four stars. Why Udo Kier is in it? Well, and Blade's Fuck, actually... I'll take Joe Del Sandro. <laughs> I was going to say, Blade's actually not that bad of a movie, but I'll stick with that. So now it's time to move forward from Castle Freak. And I, I, I just, I don't want to like go back to it, but I guess this is going to be a reoccurring theme throughout all of the night. It's not like this was a waste of my time sitting down and watching it. It's not like when I finished the movie, I was like, well, there's fucking 90 minutes. I'm never going to get back. I didn't necessarily enjoy the movie, but the motions of it, the idea of it, I, I can see how it was formed and, and where they want to go with it. I just don't have a lot of compassion for the directions that it went and the directions that it looks like. Uh, this this kind of genre, if you want to call it that, maybe sequels or, or whatever is going to come from this. I, I don't really care for the direction or what we've done here. I, I just feel that this is kind of like something you'd see on the Sci-Fi Channel at 3 in the morning, and that's not complimentary at all. Do you, uh, do you Let's go ahead and do some uh, some ratings. We'll do it at, like, you know, out of five stars, how many? In Castle Freak, it's a two and a half stars out of five for me. It is mediocre to average film. I'll bear with you and give it almost the same rating because anything lower is, is kind of mean because there was obviously a concept and thought put into this, but maybe a little bit more could have also been put into it. And I agree with you fully. You've said it several times. This script needed a second, third, fourth, fifth pass. Maybe a couple other people looking at it too. It It's just all over the place. There's way too much going on. Again, Stop trying to be clever with gimmicks and just focus on character and the story at the heart of what you're trying to tell right now and stop trying to add extra gimmicks and flash to it. Not necessary. So where do you want to go next? It only goes uh, down, right? Do you want to go to Killer <laughs> Pants? Oh, uh, yeah, we'll go to that. Uh, the the movie whose name I can't ever remember. I've been trying to Google Slacks, it. Slacks, for... you bitch. Yeah, I was trying to Google it for the last hour. Pants with two Trousers Zs. Trousers with Zs. Yeah. <laughs> Knickers? Is it with three Zs or two? I just don't know the name of the movie. A Canadian film directed by Elsa Kephart, written by Patricia Gomez and Elsa Kephart. I think this one is a little bit more rounded, a little bit tighter than Castle Freak, but at the same time, it looks like every movie we're going to discuss tonight has multiple things in common, but one of them really being the script needed something else or or, or more attention to detail. I don't want to come right out of the box saying there's a lot of bad writing involved in this movie, but it's kind of inconsequential to the entire story. But when you get to the end of it, nothing really matters, and that's a problem to me it's a problem i enjoyed slacks for the most part when i initially heard about what the film was about i was like "Ugh, okay killer pants we'll go with that and the movie won me over with its attention to uh kind of modern internet culture to an extent with like influencers being involved and the heightened nature of the performances and it was very um it's it's going for a comedic slant, definitely, because you're not making a killer pants movie without it being somewhat humorous. And I think it it worked for the most part through a good portion of the film, because um, it's there is a there just a brief explanation of the plot. There is a Canadian clothing company CCC that is um, having a lockdown overnight because they're getting ready to premiere all these wonderful new clothes that are all cruelty free um no child labor they're all you know there's they're very um well specifically the catch is if you're five pounds underweight five pounds overweight they'll instantly fit you that they have like this strange smart fitting technology that helps them grow to your body and make your ass look perfect they're you know? unisex pants yeah everyone can wear them it doesn't matter what your size is it's like when you saw those commercials as a kid for the shoes that you'd put on and you could pump them and they would make you fit absolutely perfectly the that pumps no dude basketball is hard on your body but it's really tough on your feet the pump where were you when i needed you if i could play today i'd pump up for support protection and a custom fit Hey, it's time to move to a new neighborhood. Pump up and air out. Switch to the greatest sports performance shoe in the world, the Reebok Pump. Pump up and air out. Yeah, the pumps that never work. It's that same theory, but we're also shown in this time period 
these shots of this field in India where, where everything's being grown in the cotton for these pants, and we get this little placard right in front of the field that says it's an experimental crop. And, all right, I mean, so, killer pants. I don't feel like I'm missing something, but I still felt like I was missing something at the beginning. Like, are we blaming GMOs here? Are we going to blame child labor? I mean, what's where are we? What's the direction well, we're I mean, heading that, toward? That's a, like a direction they start to move the film into is of... Are they bad? You know, are they good? I don't know. Neither do they. Because it's it's talking <laughs> shit about um, a certain amount of uh, corporate wokeness of companies wanting to look like they're very much into um, social justice and advertising as such. But when they you break it down, they're just for making money and they're not doing anything to help any sort of child labor or they're and they're using GMOs or using all these different things. But we want to advertise like we're a green company. And and that's kind of an idea, a thread, huh? That we're working through with this film. But that film. once the pants come to life and start eating people, and it it's um it can be rather gory at times. Although I think some of the special effects, they like a lot of the stuff happens off screen. Uh, there's a lot of um you know damage after the fat gore, but like on screen, it's just kind of pants and blood flying around. Which I mean, that's a nitpick. I'm not going to go. It's hard too to hard try and even like get, give this movie a lot of flavor when you're talking about it because your villain legitimately is a pair of blue jeans, and and there eventually becomes Legion for there are many blue jeans. But comparing it to something like Deathbed, the bed that eats people, you only die when you get on the bed. You know, you have to be in and or around the bed to be affected by it. You have like sentient killer pants here, and no matter how goofy that idea sounds. I'd say for the first half of this movie, it's 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 pulled off fairly well to a, almost like a classic Universal kind of feel. Like you have a monster, it's an established monster, and you slowly start to learn about the monster. And there's payoff within all that. I really enjoy the fact that we're given like a story. Like it's not just fucking like weird GMO yeah. killer pants. Well, I mean that's the thing is it's it starts out as being a very like <clears throat> kind of a parody film, but. Then slowly, as we're working through the story, it tells us that it actually has something to say through, uh, you know, as opposed to just haunted fucking pants. It's actually making somewhat of a statement about. But what it has to say gets a little confusing because, again, um, you know, full disclosure, everyone out there listening, we will be spoiling everything. You find out that the pants are haunted pants, kind of, because this little girl died while working, uh, picking cotton, and she fell into the thresher, or thrasher, or whatever the fuck it's called, the same thing from Graveyard Shift, and gets, you know, all mangled and mauled and eaten by it, but it's also, like, weird experimental GMO crop, so, I mean, you, it, it's like haunted GMO, so that's that's where a well, problem see, I have starts a with, with me. Problem with the, like the confusing nature of how the. Well, pants I just want to know haunted. what we're shaming. That's that's it's not so much like where the pants get haunted, but the movie has this direction of like GMOs. They're very very bad, but also child labor. That's that's pretty bad too. And it's like, well, which one are we? Uh, what's what's worse? Well, I are think we, it's, is there a I message think it's pointing here? out that just like again, woke corporate culture is what the problem is. It's not so much the the small bits and pieces of how this happened as much as the, the main villain of it is this corporation is what is, has made it happen, which I'm, I'm okay with. Well, you also to capitalize and kind of further what you're saying here is, you know, you, you, in theory, the main villain of the film is actually the corporations, but below that, the main villain of the film is the guy that wants to become district manager who cares so little about human life because he just wants to be successful in this, the system of capitalism that he doesn't care about anyone else until it comes to him. So, you know, you have the theory and not the theory, you have the spirit of the corporation and then you have somebody that's trying to be the embodiment of the spirit of the nice corporation. The film yeah, for me yeah. too, that that the pants aren't necessarily the villain. Yes, they are villainous. They are killing people. Pants uh, are most people. of the people it kills, though, are feckless asshole like Kardashian. I mean, some of them style are just people. just fucking people, though. Some of them are just employees that get killed. There is one gag that I, 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 I man, almost every movie we're going to discuss has a post credit sequence. This movie's post credit sequence was a gag that paid off because at the beginning of the movie, one of the characters is uh, shown to be having sex with a very younger employee. And she tells the employee to go meet them in her car. And they're gone for the whole fucking movie and you completely forget about them. And post credits, they, they come back in the store and are like, it's been a lot longer than 10 minutes. And it's covered in blood. And, oh, again, spoilers. 
everybody dies. Unnecessarily so. I thought the ending of the movie was a bit of a downer, and to me it was like, well, did you just not feel like finishing it? Did you not know what else to write? And it just... You, you kill off one... One of the characters is very, very important because they speak a certain language that the pants know how to speak. You waste them. They're completely gone. So we know at that point there's not going to be any resolution to the movie. And, and from there forward, it's like, I don't know what to do. Everybody dies. And we... Yeah, just... yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say is you have this Hindi character who can communicate with the pants and you find out that, you know, the backstory of this girl who was, you know, killed while, um, working for this, this heartless company, that sort of thing and why the pants are haunted. But that's the end of the story of the pants. It's just like once uh, spoilers, once uh, the Hindi girl gets killed, it's just, that's it. That's the end of the, like, that's the end of what the movie is because we get no further explanation of, what the pants want, what anything is going, and now it's just a, a, like a race to the clock when the store opens, and can we protect the, the mass populace from getting killed by these pants? So it's just like you didn't complete your thought, and that's what it feels like to me is it's, it feels like a thought incomplete um, for the last like 10 minutes. It's just like, okay, this all just seems like filler now because we don't know where you're going with this. I think the lesson that they're trying to bestow upon us, the lesson we're supposed to learn is that it, it can't be stopped, maybe? I mean, because to me, it's kind of a nihilistic ending that... You, so no matter what you do to fight the corporate machine, it's still going to win because the pants end up killing... The store's lockdown ends and all these people come in to buy the pants, which they kill everyone and leave and go uh, presumably to attack the world and make furthermore legion of haunted killer cannibal... Well, they're not cannibal because they're pants, but human man-eating pants. So I guess what, the, the corporate structure is going to take us all over and kill every single one of us? I mean, no matter what you rage against, you're still going to die? See, you, it's it's kind of negative at that point, and I get that they're trying to make this point of, you know, this, this is always going to happen. The, the big corporations are never going to care about people. They're going to walk all over you. They're literally going to eat you. But just by not really managing anything, it's it's just like poor management. It's not just on the director's part because it comes down to writing. You it kill... comes down to script yeah. once again. You kill this character, and then it's like, okay, it doesn't matter what happens. And you have this big point of uh, they shot everything on a camera so they can show to the world the story of of this haunted pants. And that's the only way that's going to make the pants not kill people anymore. It sounds ridiculous, but it, it, it plays off on screen fairly well. And our lead character who's going to help them ends up being killed by the consumers who are so excited to come into the store. They knock her down. She hits her head and ends up bleeding to death while holding the SD card. So what's the fucking point that we just watched for 40 minutes that they're going to film everything? The pants win and are just going to go killed or the pants don't the pants don't have any relief. They're not going to have their story told. They're just going to go off and kill massive and massive and massive amounts of people. I mean, are you trying to say that like the little person's story is never truly told or what are you trying to condone to me, man? I guess it's like the idea that consumerism will kill us all in the end of the day, but yeah. it just it could have been a lot clearer of that's what they were trying to say. I thought it just kind of was very abrupt with the last 10 minutes of kind of ending their story early and then just kind of playing wrap up towards the end of like, well, let's get to the end of this because we really don't know how to end it. And when they do end, it's just like, well, I mean, what you were trying to say possibly is there, but it's incredibly vague. And I really don't get a payoff to the character of the pants. I don't get a payoff to like ultimately what this character is wanting and like what its demands are or anything like that. It just kind of ends with a, I guess life goes on and fucking consumerism will be the death of us all. And that that's the end. You're trying to sure. say you're not your fucking khakis, but you just made the pants eat people and everybody died. And the, what I guess is the most disappointing thing about this whole product is you get through the movie and I was really enjoying myself until the very bitter end. And it was just like, well, now I kind of feel, unlike Castle Freak, that I wasted a little bit of my time in this situation because there's no hope at the end of the day. And not every every fucking movie, every story needs hope. But you get to this very last piece of the film and you just kill her with no consequence to anything. All right. It doesn't matter. My characters, none of it mattered. The story you're trying to tell me ends up just completely limp and it doesn't do anything. I think my problem mostly was the whiplash of tone altogether because it's very comedic from the beginning. Then it seems like it, it wants to have a message, but at the end, at the end of the day, it 
kind of loses its message and also still wants to be kind of uh, somewhat mournful. And, and I'm just like, but I, I don't know where you're going with what all am this. I You've mourning? gone from like comedic horror film to thoughtful horror film to dour horror film. And I'm just like, I'm lost on the entire experience of what you're doing. But I did not hate this movie at the end of the day, though. I like for the most part, I'm it was an enjoyable watch out of five. It gets three stars for me. It got three and a half the first three fourths. But then once uh, the Hindi character dies and it just kind of loses where it was going, it, it seems like it. It seems like somebody was writing a script, lost their place and just kind of like went back and went, I don't remember where I was at here. Here's some more stuff. Um, so it, at the, at the end of it, it's going to get a three stars out of five. It's, it's a pretty decent little horror film. And really that's where the, the line is drawn in the sand. This is nearly a 3.5. It's like a 3.2 almost for me, I guess, because you, you get so close to that 0.5. It, it's really great. And that's, that's where it's all fucked up. There was no reason to kill that character outside of, well, I just don't know what else to do. And, and this is, you know, both of our opinions coming down to the same thing. That's how it read to me. That's how it looks like. So it's a three. It's no two. It's no 2.5. But, you know, I can go to like 3.2 or something like that because I enjoyed the ride. I'll probably watch it again. I've recommended it already to a few people. And obviously, you know, even if we have some some problems with the movies and we're not speaking of them in, in the highest regard, a big point of this show is movies, you know, for you guys to check out, form your own opinions on, maybe look at some of the things we said and, and try and evaluate that. But I, I hope that you watch all these films. I mean, definitely check out Shudder, uh, use the free trial if you're on the fence and just look and see what they have to offer. Don't just take, well, Death by DVD said that Slacks well, wasn't that, not, I you mean, know. It's the nature of film criticism. It's not like, yes, yeah, some film criticism, especially, especially like film, like internet film criticism can sometimes get unnecessarily mean. I'm just telling you issues I had with the story altogether, what I liked about it, what I didn't like about it, but you're free to make your own decisions of what you enjoy and don't enjoy. Cause a lot of people like I've been hearing about this movie for weeks and how like it's one of the best horror films of the year and they seem to really enjoy it. I, I had some issues with it overall, but I would say it's worth a sit down and watch, especially if you've got like nothing else going on. Sure. Watch the killer pants movie. It's 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 kind of it's all right. One of the things about especially Internet film criticism and, and Twitter specifically is you start scrolling through and you start seeing everything is movie of the year. How are there 10, 15 movies of the year? Not everything can be the movie of the year. That's kind of like a one person gig, a one one movie gig. There is no consequence there there is no well this didn't work this didn't work not everything can be perfect and just because something has flaws just because something isn't rounded the way we'd prefer it to be just because it's not fucking Stuart gordon's castle freak that doesn't really mean anything i mean uh, you you've got to take a lot with a grain of salt and two that this is an entertainment-based program and you're listening to us because it's, in theory it's all subjective as shit <laughs> i mean it's it's all about but it, like with at least well, with my criticisms and your criticisms, we can say we didn't think this worked because of this. We have reasons to back it up. It's not just this movie sucks and you're stupid for liking it. I don't think stu anybody's stupid for liking anything. Like uh, recently, the the, uh, the Snyder Cut came out, and I th I thought it was better than the Justice League originally, the, uh, the Whedon Cut, but... Like, it's still not a very good movie because I just don't like Zack Snyder movies. It was a three out of five for me. And if you listen to everyone else on the Internet, oh, my God, what a revelation. It's so amazing. Like, yeah, it was definitely better than that, like, Frankenstein movie that they put out like three years ago. But Jesus Christ, it's still a mess in places. Zack Snyder's got a lot of problems with directing actors. He's got a lot of problems with um, slow motion and CGI. There's a lot of narrative issues in the film. It, like I'm, I still can be critical of a movie, even though like half the fucking world's population is incredibly invested in it. They all loved it. You might love it too, but I found it to be just another Zack Snyder film. I can almost guarantee that I will die before even coming close to seeing and or finishing this film or the original Justice League for that matter or any other Justice League movie that's going to come out because I have... No fucking interest in it whatsoever. But presumably, you're listening to Death by DVD because you like us and you enjoy listening to us. So what's important to me out of that is that you don't take anything 
Well, I'm just not going to watch any of that. it to heart. These are just valid criticisms that yeah. we have. Your criticisms and your your likes of things are also valid. But I mean, it's a conversation to be had. That's what we're doing. We're having a conversation. You don't agree with us? I don't know. Whatever. It's an opinion. Who cares? We both have opinions. I just want specifically someone to not watch something because we didn't necessarily have the best review of it. Please watch it on your own. Please check out any form of art that you can every single day. It's worthwhile one way or another. And if it affects you differently than us, that's great. That's awesome. Let fucking find the filmmakers and tweet at them. Let them know things like that. Let people know that they're being watched and it uh, affects you some way or another. So, you know, I'm uh, glad you didn't have a problem with the anticlimactic nature of slacks. Enjoy. Take the ride and enjoy the moments. Uh, that's just, the, I guess, the whole point of my little thing here. Just trying to enjoy moments, whether you're watching this movie and you maybe hear us and go, yeah, I kind of agree with them or those guys are full of shit or you're listening to this show and it's like, well. They're just bashing the movies. Eh, I, I liked Slacks. I, I We were talking about this before the show started, but I don't know. This might be... We'll, we'll have a discourse on the other one, but this might be my favorite movie on the list. This might get my highest rating. I'm not sure. I, we, we, it's it's number two for me because my highest rating is the next film we'll be talking about. It's um, a movie by uh, Brian... Boitano. Bertano, yeah, I can never remember his name. The man it's Brian Bertino, but I remember the, the South Park movie. What did Brian Boitano do if he were here right yes, now? Yes, it is not Brian Boitano. <laughs> he would kick an ass or two. That's what Brian Boitano did. Wait, did. wait, just a second. Now we've got to think here. Now let's see. What would Brian Boitano do? Yeah, what would Brian Boitano do? And that brings us to the end of the Shutter Shindig. <laughs> Part one. We never mentioned that these are two-part things at the beginning, do we? You'll have to wait until next week to hear more about Brian Boitano, or Bertino, fucking Chef Boyardee, Bart Simpson, something like that. Next week, Friday, Friday, Friday. Until then, the ashtray is full, the bottle is empty. Death by DVD is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning. And now our national anthem. Next episode, the Shutter Shindig continues, even though you wish it wouldn't.